Hello and welcome to The Housing Platform, a podcast about the housing sector brought to you by Platform Housing Group. If you haven't done it yet, it's worth subscribing to get our monthly episodes about the many issues surrounding the sector. And you can also go back to listen to some of our other episodes about things like tenant relationships and sustainability. In this episode, we're talking about diversity in the housing sector with Lara Oyedele. Lara paid a visit to the offices of Platform Housing recently to deliver a talk around her campaign as president of the Chartered Institute of Housing, In My Shoes. It was fascinating to have her speak, not only because she makes some interesting points about the lack of diversity in housing boardrooms, but also because she had music and quizzes with prizes as part of her session. Fair to say her style and delivery of what can be a tough message for some to swallow hit all the right notes and left our colleagues and no doubt many others who she's spoken to with some food for thought. So after the session was over, we sat down with Lara to talk to her about her mission and the term she's enjoyed as president of the CIH. My name's Richard Hurst. I'm one of the communications business partners here at Platform and I got to sit down with Lara for a good 20 minutes and we asked her all sorts of things, including what she'll be working on after her term has ended, but started with what the year's been like. So, Lara, thank you for being with us on on the housing platform. You've been in two platforms head offices today talking to us a bit about your presidency at CIH and and the work you've been doing Mm. and what inspired you. Yeah. So my first question out of everything is going to be, how's your time since being appointed president been? It has been busy. Mm. (laughs) Lots of travelling, lots of talking to people, lots of checking into hotels and checking out of hotels and getting taxis from stations (laughs) to places and getting your luggage lost at Dublin Airport. (laughs) (laughs) I found it, they found it eventually, but I was without my suitcase for two weeks. Um, Mm. No, it's it's been a busy year. Mm. I've really enjoyed every minute and... uh, I'm hoping that all the speaking and traveling will make a difference. I have using the word have made a difference is I think too soon because of the nature of what I'm trying to do is change um, the dynamics, the demographics of leadership teams. And mm. that's very difficult to do within just a year. So I'm hoping that the right tense is to say that I'm hoping that all that running around will make a difference and we'll be able to hopefully able to evidence that in a few years time one one of your slides today was that uh that gift from uh, gentleman jack mm-hmm. um with the clip of the character saying why yeah. are we still We're still talking, talking about, about this? this still yeah still still talking about this but diversity is still being talked about mm-hmm. and i'm guessing especially from your point of view mm-hmm. not being action absolutely that's my um unfortunate observation is that uh, th- that one of the slides that came after the one that you're talking about lists many reports, reviews, commissions that have looked at, analysed and assessed the impact of lack of diversity in leadership positions, especially in boardrooms. The McGregor Review actually tried to monetize the impact of the, the lack of diversity in boardrooms. And the point I was making with that slide is despite all these various academic financial statistical data we're still not there yet you know the the change hasn't happened Mm. and i hope you're not going to ask me this question later but i'll say it now the 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 thinking that i have is that if you look at FTSE 100 companies 
they already have to report on diversity. It's a require. It's a regulatory requirement for that sector, and that the change has only happened in that sector because they have to. It's compulsory. Mm-hmm. They don't have a choice about it, and I think that looks like it's going to be the only way to work in the housing sector. We recently at Platform have, have started up our trainee board program. Mm-hmm. I think as much as it's been a success in the short amount of time we've had it, it mm. does illustrate your point, doesn't it, about the amount of time mm. these things can take to, to take effect. Yeah, absolutely. The, to change dynamics of your average boardroom, which let's, let's just pick a random board of nine men and two women, all white, um, to, to something that is probably a bit more interesting to look at and representative of the staffing group, will probably take between three to six years because your average board member spends three to six years on the board. So if you're already on the board, it's it's going to be difficult to change the dynamics, change the makeup of the board within a year. You might be, maybe you recruit one person a year or two people a year, but your average board member's on the board for six years. So it looks like I say I need to come back to this in two years and then in, in four years and then in six years and see if any difference has been made. Mm. Mm. Because you're, you're, the, the presidency term at CIH, for anyone mm. who doesn't know, only lasts a year. Yeah. So it's kind of a lot of extra hard work for you to do within that 12 mm. months, isn't it, to try and make sure that I suppose you, know, you and, and CIH and that aspect of things are heard. Absolutely, and that's why I've been doing lots of talking because I know that, that there's very few practical things that I can actually do in that year. I'm going to physically drag people out of the boardroom and swap them. So I know what the processes and systems are that are involved in appointing to the boardroom. So what I've chosen to do is just to speak and shout and you know make a lot of noise about it so that hopefully people will hear me and feel a bit guilty and hopefully do something about it. And also look at organisations that are doing things similar to what Platform is doing or looking at the progress that organisations like Metropolitan have made in terms of diversifying their boardroom and think, well, what have they done and can we copy that, emulate it or amend it slightly and do our own version? I mean, there's no one right way of doing this. There's lots of ways of doing it, but I just think people need to have the thought in their head and then the passion and desire to make it happen and you know there are lots of hoops to jump through so my mission has just been to talk as much as I can speak to as many people as I can but also try to do it in a way that engages people because it's it's an interesting balance that I'm trying to have which is to tell people actually you're not you're not brilliant I wish you were doing better you're not great but let's have a bit of fun and don't hate me because I'm telling you something that might make you feel slightly uncomfortable. So try to, as you witness, try to balance it out with a bit of music, a bit of engagement. Yeah, it was, you know, make it a bit interesting, but still making the point that this is actually a very important topic. Mm-hmm. It's a very uncomfortable topic for most people. And I'm happy to have that conversation. And no, I don't think anyone feels negatively about the experience they had this afternoon no because of how i've managed to frame it just trying to get that sweet spot of Mm. saying something that's tough and difficult uncomfortable but making people feel like they had an enjoyable afternoon at the same time would would you say that's something you enjoy kind of tackling 
difficult subjects and, and bringing that to people you know like you did mm. today with our, with yeah. our talk it's interesting because if you'd have asked me that question 20 years ago I'd have said no because um, how can I put this I, I never saw myself as a race equality activist I saw myself as a house I mean I'm a housing person yes we, f- yeah. we forget we you know in amongst all the background here yeah. you know the big yeah. one of the big reasons you're here where yeah. you are is because of a housing I, I, you know yeah. housing is my passion and mm. the whole sort of racial equality racial diversity thing just sort of came as part of my progression in the sector started observing what's going on around me and asking the question why and one of the things I do really well is ask the question why. I it can be really irritating. I am the most inquisitive person I know. I'm like a child. I'm saying, why? Why is this? And why is it like this? And who says we can't do it that way? And why not? So I am that irritating person. And I think it's been helpful in terms of me just finding out what's going on ar- around me in the world and progressing yeah. in my career. And so I do recommend it for people coming up, you know, in the sector. Ask the diff- ask the unusual question. Ask why. Just don't. I think as grown-ups, we should still be asking the why question. It does open doors. And you say, well, why are you doing this? And why are we doing that? And why are we not doing it this way? And who says we can't change? Okay, so um, yes, what was the question again? <laughs> what was Enjoying the question? being difficult. Yeah, yeah, being it, was difficult. A, it was a difficult... Yeah, yeah so... Um, if, like I said, if you'd asked me the question 20 years ago, I'd have said, no, I don't enjoy dealing, uh, handling difficult topics. I want to talk about housing. Mm-hmm. I did do a presentation on the Equalities Act back in the day when it first came out, like 2010. I was an expert on the Equal- Singles Equalities Act and the Equality Impact Assessments. But they were at the time, I look back now at the time, it was all very theoretical. It was like, I'm telling you about this, but I'm not putting myself in that space. Mm. 20 years later, I'm now in and out of boardrooms. I've been a chief exec. I hang around with chief execs and board members and tenant reps and et cetera, et cetera. And you just think, seriously, where are all the black people who look like me? Where are we? And that's why how I ended up, you know, having to have these conversations. Um, the, the combination of having a difficult conversation and trying to make it interesting, I think, comes from the fact that I just like engaging people and I don't... Should I say I, I want to be liked to an extent? I, I don't want to upset people unnecessarily. Mm. But also, there's a very important thing about trying to get your message across. If you wind people up, they're not going to hear whatever it is you've got to say. I mean, if you wind someone up and give them a bunch of flowers, they're not going to appreciate the bunch of flowers. You see what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. you're making them feel negative about themselves. So I'm very conscious of, of knowing that, okay, I'm going to this place. I may make people feel a bit uncomfortable, but I don't want them to feel upset and mm. I don't want them to feel miserable or unhappy, but I just want them to feel aware and conscious and think, well, what can I do to change things? So I, th- I think it's about trying to get that positivity out of people. So I, I am very conscious that... Mm especially like today when I'm in a room where there's only two or three other black people. Like I don't want to alienate all the white people in the room because I actually need you. I want you to make the difference. So and alienating people doesn't get people on board. Mm. So Very true. Hence the music. Very true. The music was great. The music <laughs> yeah. was great. Um, and we, you know, we, I don't think we've ever sat in this space here in the, in the head office and, and just said nothing and clapped together. Mm. <laughs> I've never seen that before in my life. And let's let, let's take it to housing as well at the minute because mm. it is it is a very under pressure sector at the mm. minute and for all sorts of reasons there are all sorts of different changes going on that will eventually 
make housing better than than it is what do you think of the most is the most important thing whilst you've been at cih president in just in housing what do you think is the most important thing that's happened over the last sort of 10 months that is a very optimistic statement to say <laughs> there's lots of things happening that will make it better Ooh. Uh, so the question is what's been the most important thing that's happened wow oh god where do i start the most important things i think that the thing that comes instantly to my head because i'm representing cih is the better social housing review um i think it was a long time coming we had to respond to Quajo, the housing activist and daniel hewitt and all those awful videos of mismanagement and badly maintained properties and tenants living in in horrible situations because of decisions or lack of decisions that my colleagues have made in different housing associations. So the Better Social Housing Review, in a way, was a response to that. I have my issues with the Better Social Housing Review. First of all, I was a bit disappointed that it um, left out local authorities in terms of um, the people who gave evidence and also that because CIH represents people across the United Kingdom, we didn't reach out Wales, Scotland and Ireland who I guarantee also have damp and mould issues. Having said that, okay, there's another thing, another reason why I'm not completely happy with it. It's very clear that one of the reasons behind it was to do with race. It was very evident that a lot of the cases that, um, what's his name, Quajo was highlighting, and also that ITN's Daniel Hewitt, just so happened to be people of colour who were living in these terrible homes, not exclusively, but overwhelmingly they were. So it's very clear that there was an issue to do with race, culture, um, identity in the problems that Quajo and Daniel Hewitt were raising in the sector. But it was not a specific recommendation in the Better Social Housing Review, and I'm very disappointed that I think there's the last page of the Better Social Housing Review, I think has eight recommendations. I hope, I hope it's eight. And I was hoping that one of them would be something along the lines of EDI, anti-racism, equity, whatever you want to call it. And it was, in my view, visibly absent. Now, I'm told by people who've read the whole document that it's mentioned as a golden thread. But having run a housing association and as someone who runs two businesses, I know that I would have just printed off the the recommendations page because it's got tick boxes on it against it, stuck it on my wall and worked my way through it. And none of them refer to ethnic minorities, how they dealt, how they've received the service, how they're represented. And I, th- I thought that was um, a, a missing, a missed opportunity to actually publicly state that. Having said that, the good things about the Better Social Housing Review is that it did make the sector think about why we're here. It did ask one of the obvious questions I often ask the sector, which is, where did we come from? What's our history? Mm-hmm. It talks about going, I don't, it didn't use going back to our roots, but something along the lines of what our original purpose what's was. our original yeah. purpose why are mm-hmm. we here now most housing associations came from um, social reform organizations community activism it's about making the world a better place looking after people who needed accommodation and i think sometimes some of us in the sector maybe have forgotten that 
and um, I'm not anti big housing associations, but I just think I think sometimes the bigger the housing association has become, the more they are focused on their financial credit rating rather than the impact of whatever decision on ten tenants who live on a particular street. Because if you own over a hundred thousand properties, ten tenants isn't one. It's not even one percent of your total stock. So your how can I call it your KPIs look brilliant so you know 98% is actually a very good achievement rate but if you own over 100,000 properties that missing 2% is quite a lot of individual homes who haven't got whatever it is they should have got so the numbers make a difference you know and then it's about what you look at as a board member in terms of numbers and ask yourself, so I've got this thing about when I do my board training, I say, look, always ask yourself about the 2%. Who are that 2%? And what's their experience? Because a 98 is great, but who are the people? That 2% are the ones that Quajo and Daniel Hewitt highlighted. That's the 2% of your 98% excellent performance. Mm-hmm. It, it flips it very nicely. Mm. It does. Perspective is very good. Mm. Um, I would like to finish on just... Um, looking to what would be after your your presidential term mm. is over yeah which is which is a couple of months away um no next this week friday oh, goodness me where we are we're in october and it's actually the yeah. AGM on the 6th isn't it yeah. so there you go this week yeah um so 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 what is next and will it involve just as much traveling lost luggage <laughs> flights taxis trains oh i i i'm not sure yet um i still have three things that i want to achieve as part of the campaign which clearly will happen after I'm president. Mm-hmm. But I guess if we go for the American approach, I'm president for life, so. <laughs> Never leaves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll just be former president. So one of them is the Steve Douglas Award, which is an award set up in honour of uh, the late Steve Douglas, who died last May. And the purpose of that award is to um, honour, respect the housing organisation that has done the most in that year to diversify its board. And we're hoping that that will be first awarded in Liverpool 2024. Mm-hmm. Should be the next conference, the big housing conference. So that's number one. Number two is um, updating the research, breaking the mould. Mm-hmm. So I'm planning on doing that every two years. And that sort of links into my business black on board. So it's not a problem. I can see the link there. And the idea is to update the analysis of boardroom diversity every two years. And hopefully when we do this in four years time, we should hopefully be able to see a significant difference. Fingers crossed. I'd like to think so. And I'm hoping that by then, the third thing that I'm going to continue, that I want to continue to do, the petition will be now legislation. So number three is a petition to the government business secretary to require all public sector organisations to have compulsory um, requirements on boardroom diversity. Now, this is currently the case for FTSE 100 companies. Mm -hmm. So my question is, if it's okay for FTSE 100, why not the rest of the country? Why not the rest of organisations that decide what happens to people in the country? Mm -hmm. Now, the requirement of FTSE 100 companies is that they have at least 40% women and I think that should be 50. And 
that they have at least one non-white person, which I think is shocking. I would say maybe three. But the requirement is there. And if you check out most of the FTSE 100 companies, most of them have that one black person on the board who's usually a woman. So they get to tick two boxes, tick two boxes in one go. Mm. But the point is, it's a requirement and they've made it happen. So what the, the petition that I'm going to put together is to require it to be 50-50 gender balance and at least 30% non-white. That's what I'm going to ask for in the petition. So I'm hoping that when I, when I get to do the research four years from now, mm-hmm. we will be able to see. I'm hoping that that will be in our legislation. Hopefully the new Labour government, fingers crossed, will just get, yeah, we can do that. And um, we can now see the difference because mm. it's clear to me that hoping that people will do the right thing for the last 30 years hasn't worked. So now I'm thinking we need to make it happen. Yeah. And it has to be, as they say, by force. Which means a lot more hard work and I think probably means a lot more trains, taxis, <laughs> taxis and everything yeah. else. So be prepared to lose at least a bit of luggage just by the law of averages. Oh, no. But, Not but my favourite luggage again. No, yeah. no, no. Thank you for being with us today, Laura. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me and it's been great having a chat with you and I wish you all the best. And you. Thank you. Thank you. So our thanks to Laura for talking to us and our thanks to you for listening. Platform, we wish Lara all the best as she steps down from her role as the CIH president but carries on campaigning through many other channels of work. Just a reminder that there are other podcasts in our housing platform series that might interest you, including what it means to produce a zero bills home and how the relationship between government and housing is changing. Remember, you can subscribe to get our monthly episodes about the many issues surrounding the housing sector. For now, though, thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.